Welcome back, witches and other cottage folk. You've just entered the northern Ozarks on a fairly chilly autumn morning, right after a gentle rain. Several of our cottage windows and our front door are open to the freshest air found along the ridge of our hill. In the very middle of chirping birds in a mix of still bright green and also newly yellowing and reddening leaves, whirling to the ground as the wheel of the year turns toward darker months. We are lucky enough to have a few cucumber vines and a dozen or so herbs still ripe with offerings. Raccoon and skunks are out in the woodlands and we've been warned to be wary of a mother bear and her two cubs in the woods less than a mile to the east of our cottage. So I'll be keeping my walks closer to home in the coming days. But look around, you'll find not only bear cubs, but twilight elves and tiny dragons on the wing. Peer into the morning mists and you might spy the spirits of those who have only recently stepped through the veil between the worlds. And also a few guinea fowl and puff-tailed rabbits at work and at play in this liminal time. I've put the kettle on and am briefly toasting some cinnamon and nutmeg before I stir in a bit of pureed pumpkin and almond milk. I'm whipping up a delicious tea and spiced cream to greet the season. So come on inside now and enjoy a visit with me. Hester Makepeace, The Cottage Witch. Today is Tuesday, October 5th, and I've tried desperately to get back to you and this podcast. And finally, here we are. I've had nearly two months of full-on back to semi-normal high school, which is also a very good thing. Furthermore, the new moon begins tomorrow, Wednesday at 6 a.m., and it's the perfect time for some serious self-care in a big way and the start of new projects. Getting back to this podcast is mine. As a side note, several of you have emailed me to ask for my blackberry cobbler recipe. I will type it up out of my handwritten kitchen witchery book of shadows and recipes this week. I promise I will send it to you before the weekend, and you can easily use frozen or canned berries in this recipe as a substitute, so look for that. And if you want to get in on it and haven't sent me a request, simply email me at HesterMakePeace, H-E-S-T-E-R-M-A-K-E-P-E-A-C-E at gmail.com. I will be making it myself probably twice more this month with my own frozen blackberries from the summer because it's such a perfect autumnal and witchy recipe and so dang healthy that it's difficult to beat. But now, let's take a look at sacred spaces. Button and I are out of our protective bubbles at times, but that's more me than him. We still wear masks out in the wider world, but we did not go to one of our favorite yearly events this weekend because registration happened before we were completely fully vaccinated, which for us is two weeks after the third vaccine. We have now reached that milestone. And yes, I said number three of the, for us, Moderna vaccine, for which our age and wonky health situations have qualified us. Know that I am a witchy person, absolutely, but also one who believes in science. Anyway, while I'm about to talk at length about sacred and holy spaces, not only in this episode, but the next one, I also mean safe spaces, that dark unexplored cave at the back of your lands, or the October Renaissance Festival, or science fiction and fantasy convention can all be sacred spaces for me and perhaps for you too. But if you feel they may be unsafe, avoid them for now 
and instead make your own sacred and holy spaces in safer vicinities. No one should lose a life exploring or conducting rituals in an unsafe cavern or woods that bear and mountain lions sometimes call home. Neither should we wantonly take risks during a pandemic. I've lost a young adult daughter, and no one should have to slip through the veil too soon, especially unnecessarily, and no one should have to live with such a loss. So be safe. A sacred place should not be a dangerous one. But do know that I'm also saying if you do feel a space is safe, meaning you know that cave won't collapse and others know where you are, or you can wear your mask and your pirate costume or curdle and snoot at the same time and feel safe and protected, don't let me tell you what to do. As always with all of this, you do you. Just do it safely. I absolutely do believe the world is opening back up a bit for vaccinated folk. I also know that no guarantees of complete safety exist anywhere in this world, nor have they ever. Life itself is both sacred and holy and practical and everyday, but none of it is permanent or even guaranteed. In fact, life is sort of defined as constant change. And hey, understanding that is part of understanding the thinning veil. And what do we even mean by that term? It's certainly one I love and embrace. As simply as I can explain it, the veil is the sheer covering or shimmering curtain between one world and another, between life and death, between a world of the mundane and a world of magic, between summer and winter. We are in increasingly liminal or in-between times from now until Samhain, the exact day between summer and winter when we say and experience that the veil between the worlds is thinnest. It's as if one can cross back and forth. The dead can visit the living, and the living can visit the dead. And even mundane or muggle folk can taste the magic in the air and feel the spooky difference. Can you already feel not only the crispness, but the increasing otherness of the morning and late evening air? Autumn has certainly arrived, and so has the Maybon season. The veil is thinning as we get closer and closer to Samhain. My crazy big goal for celebrating this month of all months in the year is to post a new weekly podcast on each Tuesday of October for a total of five. I will be writing on the Saturday before and recording them on that Sunday, just as I have done today, which means I will record the fifth episode on Samhain itself and post it on that day too, ending this month-long push on what is arguably the highest holy day of the Wiccan year. Will I be able to accomplish or continue this frantic work pace during the school year? I am hopeful, but let's see how it plays out. Oh, and also I've done a card pull this morning specifically intended for me and this podcast project in particular, but also for you, my listeners. I will end this episode with a discussion of not only that one card, but also one of my favorite tarot decks, which I am likewise using this whole month, the Druid Craft Tarot, which is subtitled Use the Magic of Wicca and Druidry to Guide Your Life. I like the philosophy of this deck in particular, and you will likely see why later on in the second half of this podcast. I think it sort of sings to me, and I hope it will sing a bit to you too. For now, let's talk about creating sacred space, the whys and the wherefores. 
next Tuesday will be filled with practical applications and suggestions, exact and specific ideas for how you might want to create sacred spaces right now, today, in your own rooms, homes, workplaces, and even in your vehicles as you travel and on your person in the guise of glamour magic, jewelry, and clothing choices. But today specifically concerns a lot of important underlying and big picture work. So let's begin. Mabon was just two weeks ago, back on September 22nd. This witchy name for the equinox is fairly controversial, by the way, because it fell into use relatively recently, only as far back as the 1970s. But I'm going to take the even more controversial position of saying I'm fine with it. First of all, it's convenient, and it's probably based on the name of a Celtic deity, most likely a Welsh sun god. That resonates with me just fine. Furthermore, I am becoming increasingly comfortable with many, many changes in this very modern era of Western culture and society, especially changes based on ease, acceptance, and inclusion. For example, I'm a professional grammarian. I love fine-tuning our language, and yet I can now use the word they to refer to any one person who prefers that term to he or she. However, since it used to be a decidedly incorrect standard usage, it doesn't come easily to me or naturally, and I still mess it up quite often. But that doesn't mean I don't understand the need for change. I do. And our language has changed again and again over the millennia. I can change as well every decade or so as I grow and learn and likewise adapt to a changing world. So Mabon it is, or Mabon, you say it the way you prefer. I like Mabon myself, so I'll use that. So here we are, finally. Welcome to the liminal world. Lots of people call this the spooky season, and I think that especially works for younger folk and those with strong maiden and mother energy going on. Me, I'm near the end of mother and comfortably moving into the crone zone, and the thought of this actually makes me smile. Honest to goddess, it does. My life is liminal, the season is liminal, and the human world, too, is liminal as we try to move out of pandemic and back into some kind of normalcy on the only planet we have. Luckily, I do love the shadowy in-between in most of its permutations. Right now, for example, it's early morning and I'm on my porch. It's no longer night, but the sun has just risen, so it's not quite day either. For me, this is the most productive, most spiritual, and most favorite time of day. The dawning of every new 24-hour period is another chance for fun, for growing and learning, for creating crafts and doing the laundry, for love and for life itself. Most importantly, I probably haven't screwed anything up yet, and I have lots of time to fix things if I have. No matter how long I've aged, the start of every day is new and fresh, and I've had some nice sleep to prepare for it. Also, I've kicked back those first few minutes of an aching back and crackling knees as I rose from mine and Button's bed. Percy and Violet padded along with me to begin waking the household at our kitchen hearth, which is an electric stove to be sure. And on most mornings, I've set up our electric coffee pot. However, in just a few weeks, Button and I will quickly begin to use the real hearth of our household, as we do have a wood-burning stove on which I can cook in the event of an electrical emergency at the Makepeace Cottage. We live fairly far from most conveniences, yet we can survive through a weeks-long ice storm thanks to this one stove. 
Furthermore, it will heat our whole two-story household for one autumn expenditure of $350 for several cords happily paid to a local woodsman. For us, that's less than one winter month's electric bill. And I quit chopping wood myself years ago. But most importantly, the charm, historical connection, and shared work of Button and me keeping a log fire burning while frosty winds howl outside goes a long way toward making our whole home a sacred space all winter long. You may not have this one luxury, and in all fairness, it took us several years to research, save the $3,000 outlay that has long since paid itself off, but our stove was also hand-designed. Having a fireplace built probably would have been easier, though, and perhaps less expensive. Putting a fire pit out in the backyard, an even less expensive way to go. However, I was determined to create this one sacred central focus to our home. The three burner plates for cooking on the top of our wood stove are, for example, in the shapes of two antler deer on either side and a crescent moon and stars in the middle. Two large round metal and soapstone medallions on each side of the main stove feature Yggdrasil, the tree of life, and the andirons inside that hold back the burning logs are a pair of howling wolves always backlit by the fiery flames. It honestly is a work of witchy art, as well as a practical, useful way to heat our home throughout the late fall and winter and keep us safe and comfortable even during the worst ice storms. For me, almost all sacred spaces are like this, though granted, most are not nearly so elaborate or expensive, but they are all almost always just as practical. I have strived for our little family to live our lives, mark our territories, raise one another together through all the passages of life, and honor our ancestors, too, in both profoundly sacred and sacredly mundane ways. It's my spirituality, and now it's my daughter's spirituality, too. Button? Not so much. But like I said, he's a good sport. My kitchen in the wee dark hours of the morning is likewise a sacred space as well as a practical one. I will begin my morning magic here near my small fairy altar. I have many chores to accomplish, preferably not with grudging frustration, but rather with acceptance and grace, even joy and love, before I head out into the dawn of the outside world to feed the chickens and walk along with Percy and Violet as we greet the land. An hour or so later, Button will rise and complete the waking of our household. Right now, and for the next seven and a half months, I will head off to work on weekdays to begin my day as a teacher in what is also a very sacred and yet modern and practical occupation. But on the weekends, I get to stay at the cottage all day long. I have created a wide variety of witchy spaces in and around my home, including small natural shrines and cairns, herb gardens, fairy gardens, divinatory nooks, centers of kitchen witchery, and a large above-ground pool where I exercise, meditate, host my daughters and friends, and conduct some moonlight witchy rituals. I've also converted a whole room that used to be a bedroom for my daughters when they still lived at home into a beautiful and eclectic habit hole of both witchiness and more practical office space. It is full of bookshelves and hundreds of books, two desks, my main altar, and my recording equipment, a comfy sofa where Percy especially loves to curl up, and which we sometimes share on a Sunday afternoon. 
and all of the tools and incense, candles, jewelry, tarot decks, collections of stones, crystals, runes, feathers, wands, pendulums, and art created by all of my family, as well as my own varied art supplies. I've been witch-minded since I bought my first tarot deck and book in 1977. It's a well-worn path for me, and like a magpie, I have held on to many of its shiny relics. Now I have them all in one lovely and sacred room. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself here because they spill out. Luckily, <laughs> Button is a very good sport. My bedroom closet and shifa robe have a lot of mundane teacher clothing, some with a bit of a witchy flair. Other pieces of my wardrobe have to have limited private use. I have leggings with witches or sugar skulls or a swirling cosmos of stars and planets on them and a medieval kirtle or two and an amazing, if I do say so myself, autumnal ritual French lieutenant's woman robe that I made. But they don't go into public often, only for regularly established, openly acceptable Halloween or Ren Faire events. I am a public school teacher and have been in the broom closet all of my post-college adult life. But I will admit that my love of colors and flamboyant jewelry is leaking out this year. It's my last year, and it's all bubbling up. My witchy soul really cannot be completely contained any longer as I move closer and closer to the exciting time of retirement. And next week on the podcast, I will be talking all about these various little altars and individual sacred spaces and how you can likewise create similar or even quite different artifacts and locations yourself. I'll talk about how many of them are attuned to one or more of the four elements. In fact, earth, air, fire, and water are going to be my organizing principles for ideas you may want to consider as you make autumnal, household, garden, or self-care sorts of sacred or witchy spaces for your own liminal life. One or many. Indoor, outdoor, tiny, or vast. Everyone should be able to find, create, and celebrate the spiritual or spooky or witchy energies in their own workspaces, cottages, gardens, and lands all around. Yes, I'm very excited to talk about that. Right now, we're going to have a brief break, and then when I return, we're going to talk about our card pull for the week, and I'll give you some of the details of the deck that's speaking to me loudest this season, the Druid Craft Tarot, and how it suggests one might use the magic of Wicca and Druidry to guide his or her or their life. Don't go too far. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I have been wanting to incorporate and explore an interesting bit of divination into the second half of this podcast on a regular basis for some time. So in this second season, we'll look at tarot, of course, but also runes, pendulums, dice, and scrying, and any other odd bit of wisdom I discover along the way, or that you, a listener, may suggest to me. I am always open to fresh insight and new ideas, but especially so in the occult realm.
Okay, early Saturday morning, just after I gathered my weeks of hit and miss research and clandestine brainstorming, but before I began to write, I spread my sweater onto my glass porch table and shuffled the rather plain brown-backed cards of this druid craft deck. I was thinking about me and my intentions for reinstating this podcast back into my regular practice and for your needs and wants too as listeners. And by the way, we've grown from your original nine closest friends and family members of mine to 12 and then 17 souls from several different countries to, oh my gosh, a current group of 368 completely diverse people from around the world, which is perhaps 10 times the size I ever really imagined we could be. I feel like my head is exploding. It's so exciting. So I'm thinking about all of us now and how important sharing these ideas amongst far-flung, likely solitary practitioners truly is. I've heard from quite a few of you asking when I'd be back and hoping this lovely little ritualized experiment wasn't going to end. Well, it's not, and your energy powers it more than any sort of energy-raising practice I have ever done. I mean it. You charge me in my witchiness. So, I divided that plain-looking stack of cards into five or so piles, restacked them in a way that spoke to me, and flipped over the uppermost card. Here's what I pulled for us, the Six of Swords. And now, here's the journey that the Druidcraft Tarot's book and deck takes us on as we work the prophecy. First of all, I looked for my own impressions of the card. It depicts a wooden boat or skiff that easily holds its three occupants and has a bird for the small, hand-carved masthead. This boat and the people on it are clearly the dominant focus of the card. The artist, Will Worthington, portrays a traditionally robed and hooded druid with a long beard and strong arms standing in the back as he pilots the boat by pushing it along with a punt pole through a fairly shallow inlet. The water is another lower focus, perhaps three feet deep, with cattails and river weeds peeking above the gentle green waves. The sky is an additionally dominant field of the card, and it is golden with reddish-brown clouds. Green, gold, and brown are the three main colors of this whole tableau. In the front of the boat, looking ahead, are a man and a woman. He holds one sword, blade pointing face down into the boat. She has three more balanced across her lap, and the final two swords, to make six, rest in the back of the boat. Only hilts and the initial sections of blades are visible. This card is not about bearing or wielding swords, but rather carrying them along in a calm manner, transporting them, I think. I have learned to see the swords most often as all the things, all of the things we juggle in our daily lives, usually. Work, home life, children, chores, bill paying, household running, relationship managing, cooking, laundry, mowing the lawn, arts and crafts, playing games, spirituality, all of it, all of the things. And in the depiction on this card of the boat and its occupants, I immediately thought of a peaceful, calm movement from one place or one life to another. To me, it spoke of moving all of my things, my activities, interests, and pursuits to a new location or a new life. I've done that many times in the past, 
but I don't think it's ever been a calm or peaceful endeavor. Tumultuous and chaotic is far more like it. But the people in the boat are not fighting this move and instead truly do look calm and accepting, neither really hopeful though, nor really afraid. Interested maybe. They are certainly looking ahead in ease and some amount of expectation. And that's my true expectations. And honestly, it's how I'm looking at it already. A smooth, calm, and peaceful transition. This sounds lovely, and I am taking it to heart. Oh, yes. But remember, I'm also looking for this New Moons project, getting back on track with the podcast. For the past six or seven weeks, I have felt overwhelmed and saddened when I thought of my neglected Cottage Witch episodes all alone out there with me barely treading water in the face of an extraordinary workload. For me, for the first month or two of school, teaching is always at least an 11 or 12 hour a day job. That means I normally work a minimum of 55 to 60 hours a week. Going back this year was no different. It might have been a little bit worse. I just didn't have time or energy to work on my passion project. But now, I sort of do. I'm starting to emerge from that cave of both joy, as I do love teaching, and isolation and exhaustion that covers me every single year, basically. But in COVID years, it's especially thick and dark and bad. However, I suddenly do feel like one of those people being ferried along by the druid in the boat, pushing me to this new place, helping me return home once the initial battle of going back to the classroom is over. It's been won, and I am nearly there, back to my own homeland, back to my witchy room in the northern corner of Makepeace Cottage, and back on the front porch in the golden light of dawn, showered with birdsong as I set up the simple electronics of my newest pursuit. The Six of Swords fits me, and hopefully this podcast this month, to a T. And for you? What does the Six of Swords mean for you? Are you rowing into the quieter patterns of the winter season, perhaps? Into the acceptance of your witchy lifestyle that Samhain brings home to us every year? Where are you taking all of your things, and how do you feel about crossing these liminal waters into a new land? Does it apply? Or not so much? Hmm. The other thing I'm going to do for just a few more minutes is explain how the Druid Craft Tarot understands the major and minor arcana that is likely different from the way you have been introduced to it. It's a revolutionary, proletariat, or worker-first sort of perspective. The little folk, the commoners, the lesser cards are more important than the greater ones. The other aspect I love is that the authors, Philip and Stephanie Cargam, and this is like mini decks, discuss the similarities of all sixes, for example, and then how the swords differ from cups, pentacles, and wands. By the way, the usage of those terms for the suits clearly say this is a Wiccan-based deck. Pentacles, for example, which are the Wiccan five-pointed stars inside of circles, are clearly witchy. Calling them discs or coins is probably more common and definitely fundamentally different, as coins are far more about fortune and luck and a bit more mundane and certainly less deity-based. The suit of swords, which I drew this morning, are also called daggers, blades, knives, 
or spades in other decks, which are potentially witchy if one considers the athame or athame, but they all clearly suggest something sharp and metallic from deck to deck to deck. So what does this Six of Swords mean according to the Druid Tarot book? Think about how it works for you and even how it may work for any October project you have in mind. And let's see what the Druidic Wiccans, or witchy druids, have to say about it. First, sixes in general, and then the Six of Swords. And by the way, I apologize for any crowing my roosters may be doing. So this, see what I mean? So the sixes on page 69 of the Druidcraft Tarot book. Six is the number of harmony, integration, and balance. It is the number of the lover's card in the major arcana, and it signifies union on many levels. Within the individual soul, it represents the alchemical wedding or mystical marriage, the union of masculine and feminine consciousness, of self with the divine beloved, and of unconscious needs with conscious thought, feeling, and action. In addition, it represents the ability in an individual to be in touch with both spirit and matter, to be firmly grounded in this world and yet connected to their otherworldly source too. At another level, the number six represents the great rite, the ritual union of high priestess and high priest, which represents the love and union of goddess and god. Notice how this whole section is about dichotomies being brought together. That's crossing liminal space. Anyway, they continue. The balance, connection, and unity represented by these ideas means that the sixes in the pip cards all relate to positive, optimistic situations and experiences which engender love, harmony, reconciliation, connection, merging, union, and beauty. This means that, for the most part, they are associated with stability, success, and happiness. The message of the sixes is meeting at last, there is union. Serenity flows from me at this point of balance. And then the six of swords is on page 72 of the same book. The meaning? There is respite. The conflict and difficulties so often associated with the suit of swords have either ceased or are in abeyance, and as a result, a pathway is opening up which offers you comfort, solace, and the promise of renewal. If you have not considered taking a retreat or holiday, now might be the time to plan for one. You may well have felt trapped or weighed down by difficulties or by stress, but taking a journey will help you to gain perspective and find healing. Journeying forms an important part in the practice of modern Wicca and Druidry, and in paganism and shamanism generally. By taking a journey in consciousness, aided by ritual and meditation techniques, we can travel to sources of spiritual nourishment that can be both healing and enlightening. By taking these journeys, we help to wed inner and outer, our unconscious and conscious minds, our otherworldly and our mundane selves. When there is a separation, there is stress and conflict. When we journey to reforge the bonds between these different levels of reality and parts of ourselves, we open up the possibility for renewal, for the transformation of suffering, and for the beginning of a new phase in our lives. 
The key words here are journeying, solace, and healing. Well, we were pretty spot on, weren't we? I love the whole journeying aspect. It's definitely there as the boat is pushed by the druid through the water. I also love the tie between two opposing worlds that these explanations explored so thoroughly. That is completely this time of year. Wow. Okay. That was a great reading from one card in one deck. I told you this one sings to me. Well, I don't know if you can hear it, but it's getting kind of loud and raucous out here as the roosters seem to be talking to the birds in the trees. Ooh, they just quieted as I started to talk. We'll see if they continue. Anyway, remember that tomorrow, October 6th, is the new moon. It's the perfect time to start your project for October and go peacefully and confidently toward it. The Six of Swords says, we've got this. And also, we're all in this little boat together. Encourage each other, encourage yourself, and have an amazing Maybon and Samhain season. Thanks so much for stopping by the cottage once again and chatting with me, Hester Makepeace. I'll see you next week with plenty of luscious details for creating your own sacred places. Until then, merry meet and merry part, and merry meet again.